This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 181. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. Well, this is the, the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Today on the show, we're going to talk to Mr. Philip Green. He's uh, an author. He has a new book out uh, called The Manhattan, the story of the first modern cocktail with recipes. So uh, if you're not familiar with Mr. Philip Green, he's uh, he's an author. He uh, was co-founder of the Museum of the American Cocktail in New Orleans, and he's presented at Tales of the Cocktail and uh, all-around smart guy. So uh, this is a really interesting book, a beautiful book. feels good in your hands, and uh, that's going to be our book of the week. It uh, has a forward by Dale DeGroff, so uh, I encourage you to check that out. If you, if you go to bartenderjourney.net and look for the posting that goes along with this show, number 181, you'll uh, be able to find a link to it, an Amazon link, to uh, and go buy a book. We also do a cocktail of the week every week, so uh, you know what's going to be this week? It's going to be the Manhattan. Um, you, there's tons of variations, of course, and uh, there's some standardized recipes. My recipes kind of evolved from, um, actually, from an experience I had at Employees Only. Uh, the first time I went to Employees Only, I ordered a Manhattan, and it was delicious, and I was very interested to see that they put a drop of Gramonier in their, in their, mart- in their Manhattan. And uh, so my, my recipe uh, is two to one. Rye, I use rye whiskey, uh, let's say two ounces of that, one ounce of a uh, sweet vermouth, and uh, about a quarter ounce of Gramonier, then some bitters, uh, Angostura aromatic bitters. So, uh, of course, you're going to stir that, stir Manhattan, always, uh, everyone knows that, right? And uh, don't shake it. And uh, stir that with ice and strain it into a chilled uh, coupe glass. And you can use a um, nice, beautiful cherry, uh, maybe a Luxardo cherry, or you can uh, express some oil from a lemon twist in there. Drop the twist in if you like. Put it, put it on the side if you like. Uh, you know, it should make the Manhattan your own. But uh, that, that's what I've been doing lately uh, with the orange twist. So, yeah, one of my favorite drinks. It's hard to decide if my favorite drink is a Manhattan or a Negroni. Manhattan, Negroni, Boulevardier. Uh, but, uh, yeah, depends on my mood. Depends on the day, right? All right, let's talk to Mr. Philip Green. I began by asking him what inspired him to write a whole book about the Manhattan cocktail. Well, you know, um Sort of, you know, being a, a cocktail historian, looking at the looking at the evolution of cocktails throughout the 19th century, it, it you know, I've I've always had a lot of um, respect and love for the Manhattan because, you know, it was the first modern cocktail. It was the first drink to add another ingredient, another alcoholic ingredient to the standard, you know, platform of spirits of any kind, sugar, water, and bitters, as defined in you know the balance in Columbian repository newspaper back in 1806 so so through most of the 19th century you had you know the basic cocktail was 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 that spirits of any kind sugar water and bitters it could be a brandy cocktail um, a whiskey cocktail rum gin etc here comes this exotic product from italy uh called vermouth you know invented in 1786 by antonio benedetto carpano in torino or turin italy uh, it you know becomes a sensation in Italy. It starts making its way across the ocean in the 1840s and 50s. By the 1860s, we're seeing vermouth cocktails uh, coming about, and finally, sometime in the 1870s, you know, the, we have uh, that sort of Reese's peanut butter cup moment where you know chocolate and peanut butter mix. Here you have vermouth and whiskey mixing, and it just it just kicked open the doors to innovation. And I've always been fascinated at how that watershed moment 
spawns so much creativity. Um, and, and, you know, I talk about it in the book, but all the different variations, not just on the three-part platform. Okay, it's easy to say, well, add gin instead of whiskey. You've got the Martinez, the Martini. If it's scotch, it's the Rob Roy. If it's rum, it's the Palmetto or the Plimpton. That's easy, but but then start adding citrus. You know, you've got the, the you know the Churchill or the Presidente or the Scofflaw. Add uh, add a liqueur or a bitter, you know, aperitif bitter. Um, you can just continue to add to this this three part platform, and the thing doesn't tip over. It just you you can keep adding things, and it, it keeps absorbing them, and we have more and more great drinks. And it's not like we've run out of ideas. I mean, only in the last 15 years or so, you see one of the sons of the Manhattan, namely the Brooklyn, being successfully riffed on by um, the great bartenders of Milk and Honey and Death and Company and other bartenders in New York, New Orleans and elsewhere, San Francisco, um, Seattle, all these different different takes on, on the Brooklyn um, that just show what you can do with the increasing number of uh, of you know amazing products coming in from overseas, the increasing availability of um, amaro, of, of new 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 bitters, either cocktail bitters or aperitif bitters, um, new vermouth coming online, the the renaissance we're seeing in in, in the vermouth field. It, it's just it's just an exciting subject matter. I was really happy to be able to write about it. Yeah, it sure is exciting. Uh, well, we'll back up a little bit. Uh, speaking about vermouth, it really changed the cocktail landscape, didn't it? Very sort of relatively quickly, right? You know, vermouth sort of took off like a rocket in the 1880s and 90s, and I talk about that. And it was attached to the cocktail, of course. Um, you know, people were enjoying it by itself, but once it became a component in the cocktail, it just took off. And then it suffered the same fate as the cocktail throughout a lot of the 20th century. You know, prohibition, mass production of of, um, of goods. You know, in the post-war world, people were people got lazy as consumers. They were they were drinking highballs and in their martinis. They didn't want much in the way of vermouth. It became fashionable to to say you know just whisper vermouth or, or look in the direction of France or all that kind of nonsense and. Vermouth sort of became, you know, the the redheaded stepchild or the you know the the forgotten part of of, of drinks. And in the 1990s, you know, you see a movie like um, Groundhog Day, where the Andy McDowell character, her favorite drink is, is sweet vermouth on the rocks with a twist. And Bill Murray is like, "Are you kidding me? I got to drink that." You know, it, it just became so unfashionable. And thankfully, it's in the last 10 years, it's it's made a big turnaround. Again, tied to the cocktail renaissance, um, so it's kind of see. It's kind of cool to see history repeating itself. You know, a hundred and some years later, uh, vermouth is is in vogue again, and it absolutely should be. Yeah, yeah. As as quickly as it uh, came on the scene, it kind of dropped away just as quickly, and that that kind of spiraled out of control, I think, because you know bars didn't carry a variety of vermouths; they just had one, and it sat in the well, and it didn't last. You know, it lasted. It, it doesn't last forever, but it sat there forever, and it just got worse and worse. <laughs> So uh, we're just back from Tales of the Cocktail, and you, you did a uh, spirited dinner uh, related to the Manhattan, correct? Paired with Manhattans? It, it was. It was a lot of fun. We had 60 people. It was a sellout. We were at Dickie Brennan Steakhouse on Iberville Street. Um, I did a, a five-course dinner um, with, um, with de- delicious variations on the theme. And I started with the Sazerac. Um, I wanted to sort of give, give the... Um, 
you know, the guests. Um, this is this is the state of the art of cocktails uh, around the time of the Civil War. I mean, my research shows that my cousins, Peixot's bitters, were being used at the Sazerac House, which is just down the street from um, Dickie Brennan's. Um, they were being used in 1857 in a newspaper ad. So the Sazerac is sort of a, a, a perfect manifestation or representation of this is the state of the art of the cocktail um, before we started to see vermouth really becoming popular. And from there, I, I, I went into the Old Hickory, which is a great old drink that's, that's um, found in uh, Stanley Clisby Arthur's book, Great New Orleans Drink, Famous New Orleans Drinks and How to Mix Them. Uh, it's nothing more than a, a blending of, of sweet and dry vermouth with some bitters. A great, great drink. It was one of the most popular of the evening because it's and it's it's a great summertime drink because it's light in alcohol. Um, in my other book, uh, to have and have another Hemingway cocktail companion, Ernest Hemingway confesses to drinking drinking a drink very similar to this out on the Gulf Stream on his boat, the Pilar, in the 1930s. So we talked about the old hickory and served that. That was paired with a delicious uh, uh, main course. Then, um, then I then I rolled out the quintessential Manhattan. Uh, I used, um, um, uh, let's see, I used Sazerac rye whiskey and uh, Martini vermouth. Um, and Martini and Rossi. Right, very nice uh, pairing there. Um, I'd wanted to use Carpano and Tika formula, but uh, we couldn't get a donation in time. But uh, um, so we had to go with the Martini. But uh, um, that was that was a delicious delicious drink. And then the fourth drink we did the cocktail a la Louisiane, which was invented right across the street from Dickie Brennan, so the classic old New Orleans restaurant, um, the La Louisiane. This is sort of a variation on the theme. Uh, we use Sazerac rye whiskey, sweet vermouth, Benedictine, um, herb saint, and Peixot's bitters. And the final drink of the evening was the uh, the Vucare, which again was invented within steps of of where the dinner was at the Monteleone, at the Carousel um, Bar. Actually, it was not invented at the Carousel because the Carousel wasn't created until the late 40s, but uh, invented by Walter Bergeron in let's say 1935 or so at the at the Monteleone. Um, rye whiskey, sweet vermouth, Benedictine, um, and and cognac. Uh, and Peixos and Angostura bitters, so just a tremendous treat. Nice. And uh, how, how did you go about um, pairing the food with the, with the different cocktails? That's something that uh, I'm really still trying to figure out myself. Food, food. Yeah, pairings. I I deferred to the chef, and she did an amazing job. I I um, she she offered me, um, you know, she a few months ago she sent to me a, a proposed um, menu, and and you know, in a perfect world, I would have gone to dinner there. Hmm. Um, Two months ago, but uh, I'm up in Washington. And she's down in in New Orleans, but uh, it it really went well. I mean, I'm I'm the kind of person who tends to drink wine at dinner, mm-hmm. but I've had some very successful spirited dinners, um, you know, cocktail dinners, and this was this ranked right up there. It was it was just a great evening. Every, everything was paired very well with the you know the whiskey played off of of um, the the courses or the vermouth um, off of each course perfectly. Nice. Well, you skipped over very quickly the fact that you are related to the Peychaud family, <laughs> but uh, that's yeah, an interesting um, fact. It's pretty cool. I, I went to law school at Loyola University in New Orleans um, from 83 to 86 and just completely fell in love with New Orleans. The, the, the folklore, the history, the architecture, the music, 
the food and drink. I sort of became an amateur historian on all things New Orleans, especially the food and drink. And 10 years later, I, and I, I said, you know, I, I remember my grandmother was born there. Why don't I research my family tree? Her name was Dupre. And you peel it back two generations. My great-great-grandmother was Marie-Louise Peychaud, born in New Orleans in 1836. Her ancestors, her parents um, came from, um, or actually her father came from what is now Haiti, Saint-Domingue. He was a French colonist um, originally from Bordeaux. The Peychaud family is originally from, from Bordeaux. There's a Chateau Peychaud still in existence in Bordeaux. Um, but they came to the U.S. Uh, during the slave rebellions of, of the 1790s and early 1800s. And Antoine Peychaud was, was just a baby when he, when he came to the U.S. and opened his pharmacy in 1834. Well, he turns out to be my, my cousin. Hmm. So I didn't know any of this when I lived there. But it's one of those things where it, it makes sense. You know, I feel like New Orleans is in my blood, and sure enough it is, um, going all the way back to around 1800. That's cool. That's cool. And Antoine's restaurant is uh, a descendant of that family, yeah? No, no. Antoine's is um, is is Antoine uh, Alciator. Mm. Um, uh, that was his first name. But and but yeah, Antoine Amade Peychaud's pharmacy was right around the corner from Antoine's. Um, but they they coexisted. So Antoine's restaurant was opened in 1840, uh, and Antoine Peychaud's pharmacy right around the corner opened. Uh, 1834. So, okay. So they they were there at the same time, but it was just coincidental. So it seems uh, anything you get into, uh, you go you know all in, and uh, so you're a big Hemingway is a fan as well, right? So that did that kind of lead to I your throw uh, myself into topics? And, yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> it, and I'm because I'm a lawyer and a history buff. I like to get it right. I like to to really make sure I'm not just quoting something I found on Wikipedia or some website because m- much of what you find, of course, is just repeating what somebody else repeated last week, and very often it's wrong. But, uh, yeah, I, it's funny. I was a Hemingway buff before any of this. I, I started reading Hemingway in high school. Um, you know, before I was old enough to drink, I'm, I'm reading Big Two-Hearted River, his his great short story about a backpacking and fishing trip. And I had just come home from uh, uh, after my ninth, after ninth grade. I just I went on a week-long backpacking trip on the CNO Canal, uh, in Maryland, and um, here I am a few months later reading Big Two Hearted River, and he's talking about how heavy the pack was, and he was carrying canned food, and he had a right to eat this stuff because, you know, he was willing to carry it, and and the, the way the campfire smelled, and the way the, the the food bubbled on the fire, and how the tent seemed brighter even at dusk, you know, the inside of the tent seemed bigger and brighter, all these things, I was like, holy, you know, holy cow, I, I, I this guy is speaking to me. I, I understand what he's saying because I've just done it. And I started reading more and more Hemingway and, and could really connect with him. And as I, you know, started to drink beer and wine and, and, and cocktails, I, I, I wanted to know what was in a Jack Rose. How do you make that? What's Grappa all about? What's, what's Finalo all about? You know, how do you, how do you make a Chambéry Cassis? And, and, and how does Hemingway make his daiquiri and his martini and, his Negroni, and you know, so I started keeping track of um, all the drink references in Hemingway. 1989 was the first time I ever made a drink. I was down in Florida visiting my future in-laws, and I'm reading Islands in the Stream, and there's this great drink in there called the Green Isaac Special, made with fresh lime juice, coconut water, gin, and bitters. And I'm like, 
good Lord, there's a lime tree right over there, and there's a coconut tree right over there, and, and I made this drink from scratch. They probably nice. thought I was nuts trying to figure out a way to get the coconut water out of the coconut, but mm. um, I made the drink, and it, it was really cool. You know, like, wow, I'm drinking what Thomas Hudson is drinking in the uh, Islands in the Stream. And I kind of knew then I, I wanted, you know, for in my 20s and 30s, I wanted to write like Hemingway, and I finally realized in my 40s I had to write about Hemingway, but... This was going to be the subject matter. By by this time, I'm on the I'm one of the founders of the Museum of the American Cocktail. I know a thing or two about about how cocktails are made, and I know a lot about Hemingway. I'm going to put this together, and I got really lucky that no one thought of it before I did, <laughs> or nobody did it before I did. A lot of people had thought of it, but they just hadn't done it. Right, right. Oh, it's such a cool book because each I guess each chapter starts with a recipe. And then uh, suggested reading to go along with that, and then uh, and then as you say, you write about Hemingway. It's very cool. Yeah, I got really lucky, and additionally, uh, right around the time the book came out, uh, the Hemingway family decides to launch a rum company, Papa's Pilar Rum, mm-hmm. and we I've been working with them for four years. Um, you know, I helped sell their amazing award-winning rum, and they helped sell my book, and we you know we do events together, and it's it's just a great it's a great marriage, and. Uh, um, yeah, the oh, marriage lasted about stuff. as long as Hemingway's third marriage. I'm kidding, but uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's 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 a really good relationship. And the Hemingway family, in in lieu of accepting the trademark royalties, they donate all the all of their uh, royalties to ocean conservation and yeah. wildlife conservation and things that Hemingway would have been passionate about today. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. Actually, I attended the uh, a the first time I ever tried Papa Pilar rum was at your seminar at uh, Manhattan Cocktail Classic a few years ago. And I, oh, cool. And my, my copy is uh, signed by you. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I've, heard, I've read that you have said about Hemingway that he was way ahead of his time as a, as a bartender, actually, that he would freeze his glasses, which is commonplace now, and uh, he would make giant ice cubes and uh, other, other things like that. So that's, um, that's pretty interesting that he was such, so ahead of his time as a bartender. And that he was such a great bartender. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people will malign his bartending because of a couple of drinks where he didn't use sugar, and they they sort of paint him with a broad brush and say, "Oh, Hemingway, why are we, why are we so hidebound to wait the way he made drinks? His drinks were too tart because he didn't use sugar." Well, look, he he was worried about diabetes, and his Hemingway daiquiri. A lot of people love it, but a lot of people say it's a little too tart. So add some sugar, you know, get over it. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, you know, for the most part, the, the guy made some really good drinks. He invented some really good drinks. Um, there's one drink that he and his friend Toby Bruce created in Key West that I that I write about called the Cayo Hueso, which is the original uh, Spanish name for Key West. It means Isle of Bones. The Cayo Hueso La Floridita, which is sort of a, a shortcut way of, uh, a highball way of making the, the Hemingway daiquiri. You, you can use San Pellegrino grapefruit soda, half an ounce of, of fresh lime juice, and ounce and a half of Papa's Pilar rum, and it's tremendous. Um, but like I mentioned, that, that vermouth drink, um, I, I will use Carpano Antica formula, um, sweet vermouth and Carpano dry vermouth with some Angostura bitters. That, that's called the vermouth panache. That's a tremendous drink, and it's more of a session cocktail. You can, you can have more than one because it's... Um, it's lighter in alcohol since it's just vermouth, so it's a great drink. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, he was a big fan of uh, Angostura bitters, right? Oh yeah, he'd put that in his um, gin and tonic as well, and mm-hmm. uh, 
it's kind of cool to see what Spanish bartenders are doing with the gin and tonic, um, especially since he that that drink was sort of the centerpiece of uh, his short story, The Denunciation, which takes place in the Spanish Civil War. He's at Chicote's in Madrid drinking a gin and tonic, and this fellow who's about to be outed as a um, as a fascist is is also drinking a gin and tonic, and it's it's uh, it's, it's a great drink. Yeah, great I've story. That's cool. Yeah, I've heard in Spain you can go in and you, you might get a menu of gin and tonics, and there might be twelve variations or so, right? Yeah. So Hemingway was doing you know do, doing this in 1937, 38, and writing about it shortly thereafter. So who knows? Maybe he had something to do with the popularity of the drink uh, mm-hmm. in Madrid. I don't mm-hmm. know. You mentioned to go back to the uh, Manhattan. You mentioned in the book that um, before the old fa- before the Manhattan. The old fashioned was just called a cocktail, uh, so I, I always wondered when that transition happened because early in early days it was just called a cocktail, uh, as you say, uh, spirits, uh, sugar and bitters uh, or spirits uh, of any kind, and um, but all of a sudden it became the old fashioned, and I, I never knew why. So your your book explained that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's, that's that's the standard theory these days. I, I defer to Robert Simonson, who wrote the, the tremendous book, The Old Fashioned. Um, He'll tell you when the when the term came about, but it, it makes a lot of sense that you have this new school, you know, new breed of cocktails that are vermouth based, and before too long, it's kind of like old school rap or old school, you know, anything. It's like, oh, that's the old fashioned way of making the cocktail, and the name stuck. Oh, that's great. Makes so, sense to me. Yeah, it does make sense, and uh, so. In in the culinary world, we have uh, mother sauces and and uh, in, and we have mother cocktails as well. So the Manhattan is certainly one of those, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it um, whether it's father, mother, but yeah, it it it, sur- it was like the face that launched the thousand ships. Um, you know, at the, at the end of the nineteenth century, and continues a hundred years later, um, spawning new uh, inspired you know drinks. Uh, that come from it, and you know, I'm I'm not a bartender, and I, and I created what I think is a pretty pretty cool child of the Manhattan, a, a drink called the Lion of Baltimore. Um, it starts off as as a as a rum Manhattan, and then I I happen to use Appleton's because I I I like that sort of pungent Jamaican style of rum. Um, ounce and a half of Appleton's, um, half an ounce of fresh lime juice, and then I thought, well, let's add a little citrus to this. I'm sorry, yeah. Um, Maybe so. Two ounces of of rum, ounce of Carpano Antica formula, half an ounce of citrus, the lime juice, and I wanted to. It was a little tart, so I wanted to sweeten it a little bit. So I added some Orgeat syrup, and then I added Delta Groff's uh, amazing pimento bitters, allspice bitters, and and that's just. I I'm really proud of it. I think it's a great drink. Um, Sounds amazing. If, if a non bartender like myself can invent a drink like that using the Manhattan platform, anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. All right. Well, uh, we'll wrap up and uh, yeah, tell us more about the uh, Museum of the American Cocktail. You founded that with Dale DeGroff and, and others. Uh, Wondrich was involved with that as well, yeah? Dale DeGroff, Jill DeGroff, uh, Chris and Laura McMillan, Anastasia Miller and Jared Brown, uh, Ted Hay, Robert Hess, um, Dave Wondrich sort of on the sidelines as a consultant. But we, we launched the thing at the end of 2004, we had our grand opening in January of 2005 at the Pharmacy Museum 
in the French Quarter. Um, our plan was to move to another location in the quarter by the end of the year, but but Hurricane Katrina came along in August of August 29th of that year and sort of put our plans on hold. So we were in Las Vegas for 2006. Also had a, a satellite exhibit in New York City, and then 2008 we we reopened in earnest um, with the a partnership with the Southern Food and Beverage Museum right on the Mississippi River at the Riverwalk, and then. A year ago, um, in February, we, we reopened at a beautiful new facility on um, Aretha Haley Boulevard in um, uptown New Orleans, again with the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, and you've you got to go check it out. It's it's really beautiful facility. Yeah, I'm ashamed to admit I haven't been there. Every every time I go to New Orleans, my you know during tales, my schedule is back to back to back. And I, <laughs> next next time, I'm just going to block it out. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time, and uh, I hope to run into you soon. Uh, tales next year, if not sooner. Very good. All right, thanks. Talk to you soon. Interesting guy, Philip Green, and uh, as we mentioned there, uh, his new book is The Manhattan. He also wrote To Have and To Have Another. So we'll have links to both of those up on bartenderjourney.net. Stay tuned for our toast. We do a toast every week at the end of the show, so stand by for that. But first, I'll remind you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks again for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Barkeep Tips. You can find Instagram, uh, Bartender Journey. You can go on Facebook and search for Bartender Journey. And uh, free, feel free to email me at brian at bartenderjourney.net for any reason at all. Love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, thanks. You can go on uh, iTunes and search for Bartender Journey and leave some ratings and reviews. Not telling you how many stars to leave, but five is the most. That's the most you can leave. And, uh, yeah, leave, 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 say something nice there on bartenderjourney.net. Or, sorry, on uh, iTunes when you search for Bartender Journey. All right, here's our toast, and it's from Benjamin Franklin. Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Cheers. We'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. The beer refreshing as the crisp, cool land it's brewed in. Refreshingly yours from the land of sky blue waters.